and um, he failed. Um, so the doggy door served two purposes. It kept John out of the kitchen and uh, the dogs inside of the kitchen, apparently. But uh, Heavenly Father, we just ask you, Lord, to come and heal our brother's uh, knee and uh, pride. Uh, we, we thank you that you are a God that heals, and we come with expectations. We thank you, Father. Amen. Uh, but that wasn't what the I was going to ask if you a little insight in my brain. As soon as um, Chip said someone's got a colon problem, I'm visualizing someone driving down the road that's listening and saying, please don't fix it right now. <laughs> you know, so uh, I'll, we'll wait. So, sorry. Um, we're going to continue with the uh, wrapping up the series on fake truth debunking spiritual lies. And as you can see, your life is what you make it. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, which is what you expect from your pastor, is um, I struggled with this one. been working on it for a good month and a half, and about three weeks ago, I just about threw in the towel. Uh, this was one of those that I feel the enemy was battling me like crazy. I got to the point where I sent Chip a text, and I said, if I do dramatic pause... I will get 10 minutes out of this service. Um, so he encouraged me. Uh, he, he said, you, you dig deeper, so on and so forth. And so I did. So I apologize that I got rowing in the boat with God and I came up with 10 pages. Uh, so I ask you to bear with me, but I believe there's a lot of context in here because this is one of those lies that um, I was battling it because I didn't understand it. It's like, wow, it sounds so good. It sounds so believable. And it sort of is. But let's get into it. So the lie we, we will be discussing today is your life is what you make it. There is a truth to the statement, but it's far from spiritual. Let's see where we can find some, spiritual, uh, some truth that are not spiritual, though. So you're struggling financially through life because you've made some bad decisions. One example of a bad decision is you went to Vegas with your mortgage money. You sat at the blackjack table and you said, hit me. Meanwhile, you have 20 in front of you. Well, you're having a little life struggles with your finances. Another example would be you decide to neglect the repairs on your vehicle and now you're broken down, you can't get to work, and you're actually starting to wonder do I have a job to go back to because I've missed so much work? Your life is kind of in an upheaval at this point. Lastly, you refuse to improve work, uh, how you perform there, and you lost your job. Your life now is definitely in a downward spiral. So let me throw in a positive one. You see a vehicle on the side of the road. The hood is up. You pull over. You help them. The car gets running. And you come to find out that the person you just helped owns a garage and they're in need of a mechanic and you are an unemployed mechanic. Now your life is looking pretty good because now you've landed a job. I believe you get the picture at this point and you can probably come up with some things on your own how when we make good decisions, bad decisions, it does impact our life. The problem with this statement um, spiritually is that the statement is used by the enemy to convince the world that this life on earth is it. He wants us to be distracted from the life that is eternal. 
If the enemy can convince the world that they can be happy by obtaining materialistic things, whether it's money, cars, status, etc., on earth, why would you want to look elsewhere? He will convince you to focus your attention on the pursuit of gathering at all cost. Because if you are not happy, it's because you haven't obtained enough stuff. You're not rich enough. You don't have a great enough status. The enemy wants you to hear the statement as, your life is what you make it, so do whatever it takes to be happy and feel successful today. Society has bought into the philosophy and promotes it, worships it, and shames you for not obtaining success and just settling for being okay. For an example, in 2018, the New York Daily News promoted an article about Kylie Jenner. The headline read, 19-year-old Kylie Jenner is worth $900 million and on pace to become the youngest self-made billionaire ever. What are you doing with your life? If you're not familiar with Kylie Jenner, let me give you the scoop. Ready to follow? She's the younger sister of Kim Kardashian, and they are the daughter of Kris Jenner. They share the same mother, but not the same father. Kylie's father is the transgender Caitlyn Jenner, formerly known as Bruce Jenner, the famed Olympian and the face on the Wheaties box from back in the day, and now wants to be the Republican governor of California. The whole Kardashian family can be seen in the wholesome show, <laughs> Keeping Up with the Kardashians. The Kardashians have mastered the famous for being famous strategy. I cut out some of the details so you wouldn't have to sanitize your ears after hearing it. Now remember, the question from the article is, what are you doing with your life? You might come to the conclusion, if I'm not working towards a billion dollars, I must be wasting my life. This would be the shaming technique. But if we use Kylie as a role model to how to become worth 900 million, we must be born into a family that is already rich and famous. Anyone? Okay. Use your sister's poor judgment in filmmaking. Have a father that identifies as transgender and put your family on a reality show so that the whole world can see how dysfunctional your family is and yet you are successful. Following this role model represents nearly everything dysfunctional about America's moral and spiritual life. The Jenner and Kardashian family have bought the lie. Life is what you make it. They flaunt sin sinful behavior, much like we read in Isaiah 3.9. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. There may only be one 20-something female billionaire, but there are literally thousands of young women on social media today that are trying to emulate the Kardashians. They're sitting there in front of their screens wondering what they have to do, what do they have to compromise to become what Kylie has. Ironically, the husband of Kim Kardashian is, thank you for helping me out with this chip, Kanye West, whose net worth is 
1.8 billion. However, he's received much criticism for his spiritual beliefs, for putting out spiritual music, and now the family is currently looking to separate all ties, including divorce. See, he didn't fit the, the, the MO of the enemy, so he's being attacked. Little side note here, I am not promoting him as a role model, just pointing out the irony that he's worth 1.8 billion and no one is looking to emulate him, but they want to seek after Miss Jenner. All right, we'll move on. Thank you for indulging me with the Jenners. The enemy is arrogant. He tempted Jesus to worship him, as we read in Matthew 4, 8 through 9. So again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you fall down and worship me. <laughs> the enemy was attempting to make a deal. Jesus knew the cost. Jesus understood what he was looking at, he already owned. Jesus was, a, was sent to accomplish what Adam and Eve failed to do in the garden, and that was to defeat temptation and the enemy. We hear tales of selling your soul to the devil for gain as early as the 15th century with the tragic history of Dr. Faustus. If I pronounce that wrong, take the time to look it up. Um, the play unfolds on stage when the doctor makes a business deal with the devil. He sells his soul in exchange for the devil's servitude for 24 years. As the 24 years are coming to an end, the doctor realizes his demise. But it's too late. At midnight, the enemy, the devil, comes in and rips him out. And when his friends come to check up on him, all there are are limbs of his body strewn all over the floor. As time goes on, stories of selling your soul for success has taken on a different ending. Crossroads with Ralph Macchio back in 1986 tells how Ralph's character Eugene outperforms the devil and the devil has to give back a soul. In 1979, Charlie Daniels sings a song about how Johnny outplays the devil on the fiddle and the devil went down to Georgia. Did you notice how the stories went from devastation when making a deal with your soul with the devil to glorifying it by believing you can beat the devil and save your own soul? The world wants you to believe you can fraternize with the devil because you are smarter and stronger than him. That's how stupid we are. We tell ourselves that we can go after worldly possessions. We just have to be smarter in our deal making. Accumulating stuff is like being a drunk. Many men feel invincible. They feel like they can outwit you. They feel that they can beat you. They're stronger. They're smarter. But they're actually slower, dumber, and more vulnerable. Seeking after possessions can make you drunk with a drive that you will end up making deals that will have consequences to them. Got to give the devil credit. He's good at what he does. He would not continually make the same offer of worldly gain 
for a millennia if it didn't work. He knows it because he's been doing it over and over again. He wants you to see 900 million in the hands of a do-nothing celebrity and feel ashamed of yourself, but also envious too. He wants you to hold your soul cheap and the stuff of the world so precious. Remember the rich ruler in Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. We all know what the young ruler did. He walked away because, he, again, he held those things that he had so high and his soul so low that he walked away because he bought into your life is what matters on earth. The enemy wants you to make the deal. He wants you to think you are too smart to fall for the trick. He wants you to think you are too powerful. He likes his prey to swagger a little bit before he comes in and destroys it. The enemy wants you to think you are a god. If you think like a god, you can do whatever you want. The statement, your life is what you make it, becomes, you will be like God. Let's see what happened in the Bible when people thought they were like God. In Luke, Genesis, excuse me, as we look, we just combined them all. Uh, let's, <laughs> in Genesis 6, 11, and 12. See, anyone can do this. <laughs> so verse 11. Now God saw the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. These two verses foretold that there was going to be some heavy rain in the near future. But let's look at Genesis 6-9 and find out how God feels about those who walk with him. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, no, uh, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. This one verse provided shelter, protection, life for Noah and his family because of his obedience and relationship with God. Heavy rain was in the forecast for Noah and his family, but they were safe with God. While we're in Genesis, let's jump to chapter 11 and find out what happens when you hire an architect uh, because you want to make yourself famous and you don't want to obey God. So in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Uh, previously, they were instructed uh, to go out and cover the earth and multiply. So that was their instructions. So we pick up in verse 1. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make brick and harden them with fire. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower reaching into the skies. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the, and the tower that people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak 
the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Again, into my brain, I picture God, and if you read a little bit into the text, he's talking to someone else, and I'm going to make the assumption that it's the Trinity. So the three of them are up on the mountainside looking down, and it says, we're going to make this one speak this way and that one speak that way and see what they can accomplish. And he's probably giggling. But that's how I look at God. I, I, probably because I have... I think I have a sense of humor, so I've, I picture God having that as well because I'm, I'm made in his image. So he's having fun with those people. But it also shows the example that God wins uh, because he scattered them. He got what he wanted. He set out a course and it was accomplished. Um, their plan was to be famous. God's plan was for the descendants of Noah to scatter and fill the earth and multiply. They wanted to follow a better plan that rewarded in the here and now. God wanted something better for them. Another branch off this lie of the enemy is God is holding out on you. Life is what you make it because God is holding out on you. And if you follow his instructions, you're going to be empty. This lie appears in Genesis when the serpent is tempting Eve with the fruit. We read in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from, excuse me, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's implied truth is, God is holding out on you. Therefore, the logic goes, you should get what you can while you can. Because if you're going to make it in this world, it will be by your own hand. The world God made is not good enough. If you want the world that satisfies your deepest longings, you will have to make it yourself. Satan planted a seed of mistrust in God. Eve was already the queen of the world. But she did not know the value of her relationship with God. The enemy spoke to her. He's even speaking to us as heirs to the throne that what God has given us is not quite good enough. There is value in having more. He even does it with a hiss. There's nothing more to have, you know. There's more to have, you know. You have to accumulate more. He wants to keep from you what he has, 
What a stingy God. What a miser. He doesn't want to share his deity with you. Again, with a hiss. Well, you can show him. He's given you a will. So why not use it? He placed the fruit right here before you. Why don't, why don't you just grab it? Why would he have put it right there if he didn't want you to have it? There's nothing holding you back now. Let's see what you guys can make of this world without these terrible restraints. They're vacuuming upstairs. It's amazing. <laughs> Clean up your act. Um, all right. So you might be sitting there saying that this was in the beginning, and we are wiser than the enemy now. I say, poppycock. The time between Genesis and Jesus is about 6,000 years, and we just read that the enemy tempted Jesus, Jesus of all people. Again, I say the enemy is arrogant, and arrogancy comes from success. Success built on convincing you. This is equal for believers and non-believers. The devil doesn't discriminate. He's an equal opportunist. How do we apply what happened in the garden to today's life? First, we have to acknowledge that the enemy is always on the hunt. Once we acknowledge that, we can see him working in the background, hissing. God is holding out. We can identify the pitfalls. Some examples of pitfalls can be you go to work and you do everything by the book, but there's this guy, this fellow coworker that shows up late, gets others to do his work, known as the partying person, is getting all of the acknowledgement. You might decide it's time to join the other side because this side is not fulfilling. You're watching TV or have a circle of friends and notice how much fun your friends are having participating in infidelity, having sex before marriage, or multiple partners doesn't seem like they are suffering any consequences and if they get caught they're able to find comfort and acceptance in a similar group. You wanting to stay within God's instructions feels like he's holding out on you. You are being obedient but you're not feeling like you're being rewarded. I tell you your reward is now and it comes later and God keeping you from disease, heartbreak, diminished bond between a man and a woman and from feeling the destruction that comes with adultery. When we are focused on your life is what you make it, we can't see the bigger picture, the bigger picture of eternal life. The enemy will always be laser focused on getting you to believe that eternity is a myth. It's the here and now that matters. It's almost been two years since we've had to listen to the vacuum running upstairs. <laughs> At least he's got the agitator going now. It's really getting into the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> the last area we'll address today is in the bookstore. The bookstore is a den for the enemy. The enemy lurks 
in the self-help section. Within these books, you can fix you. All you have to do is these 10 easy steps to unlock the power you've been suppressing and others have been telling you you are just not capable of doing. Don't keep doing the same old thing that has been proven ill-effective. Try these steps and watch success come your way. Sounds good and tempting, doesn't it? The enemy would love for you to spend your resources on self-help books instead of purchasing the Bible for life's instructions. Did you know that in 2005, the Guinness Book of World Records estimated that more than 5 billion copies of the Bible have been printed? In 2019, the world's population was around 7 billion. The number one self-help book only comes in at 1.5 million copies. Piddles. So let's wrap this up by clearing up any possible miscommunications on my part. I want to save Jeff on getting some emails when he returns from his vacation that, did you know Andre said? So, he could be actually watching right now. Um, let me check my messages. <laughs> um, so, if you heard that money is evil, I did not say that. The Bible does not speak of wealth as a sin, but speaks of wealth as a spiritual precarious possession. Jesus spoke in Matthew 19 about how difficult it was going to be for a rich person to enter the kingdom because the rich person tends to put value on possessions and doesn't see the wealth that is in heaven. Secondly, if you heard that working hard is evil, let's read Colossians 3, 22 through 25 out of the Message Bible. This is really good. Servants, it's us. Do what you are told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sully servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus does not cover up for bad work. Now, what I pray you heard is you can't win at the enemy's game, period. The question, why should you even want to play, is brought up in Mark 8, 36 through 38. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I also pray you heard, no amount of work you can do can get you into eternity with God. God provided the way, God provided the sacrifice in Jesus, 
consuming yourself with the pursuits of worldly possessions, fame, or anything else that has become a god because it is the instant gratification you are looking for will earn you eternity, but possibly in hell. Hell is real, and the enemy wants you. The enemy is raging war on us. One soul taken to hell is victory in his book. Equally, one soul, one for Christ, is a celebration in heaven. When you feel the tug of society telling you what your focus should be, and it doesn't line up with the kingdom mindset, rebuke the enemy and give the gospel. Seize the opportunity to give your testimony. Be bold and tell them where they are wrong and show them where Jesus is right. I believe we are passive way too much and nothing pleases the enemy like passivity. We are passive because we don't want to offend. Resisting passivity is not a license to Bible thump someone. That tends to push people away. Jesus, though, showed us how we can give correction in love. Just read 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Or you can just read the interaction that Jesus had with the woman at the well who was caught in adultery. That's how God excuse me, that's how Jesus set the example of how we're supposed to have these interactions when we are confronted and have to challenge being passive. Keep in mind, if the person is offended, maybe it's the correction that they're offended by. Finally, look around you today. That was an instruction. Look at your Facebook friends. Eventually look in the mirror and know that they, you, are going to be told at some point that you haven't measured up. You haven't quite made something of yourself. And this is all based on some unobtainable standard. The enemy is, as we read before, is always on the hunt. He's not chilling back. He doesn't take vacation. Um, you may find him while you're on vacation in some of the locations that you may walk by. But he is looking to devour. So I encourage you... Off my notes. I'm going to encourage you that when you are out and about or you are on Facebook, or you are having a conversation, and you hear the hiss coming from someone that is putting themselves down, is making some sort of comment about they don't feel beautiful, they don't feel like they're doing a good job as a mother, as a father, as a grandfather, as a grandmother, as a sister, the whole family tree. You need to come in and say, I'm sorry, but I think, I think you're listening to the enemy. Well, I don't believe in that. Okay, well, let's have a different conversation. 
Let's have a conversation surrounded by your soul is being hunted by the enemy. He wants to destroy you. But there's also this, this heavenly father that is also trying to protect your soul. He wants you to be part of his family in heaven. And give them the compare and contrast. We read that hell is real. But heaven is real. What sounds better? Going, going on vacation or going and getting a root canal? Okay, so the trip to heaven isn't the journey. The trip to heaven isn't necessarily a vacation. It's going to have some trials. But good golly, you know when you get there, you're going to be comforted. You're being comforted. So I had a whole ending ready, but I just feel that you can think about people in your life right now and you can include yourselves. I include myself. There was, there was a time in, in, in my work career that I did my job to please my boss. I did my job to please my coworkers, but it was out of an ego. It was out of pride. Several years ago, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm running into conflict because my abilities is getting me in trouble with a, a, a boss that is very insecure and I seem very overwhelming. I seem too arrogant. I seem cocky. Um, so, Lord, what do I need to do? And he said, serve me. And so I changed my mindset at work. And I said, you know what, I'm going to show up today to please God because if I'm pleasing God, I'm pleasing my boss, I'm pleasing my coworkers, I'm pleasing my subordinates. And things just changed. My boss that I was struggling with, gone. The boss that I got is an amazing boss who cares for you, wants to know how you're doing. My employees come to me with problems that they're having because I'm approachable. I'm not all business. And they are reaping the rewards of me thinking of my job as a kingdom. So that is my encouragement for you. I'd like us all to stand and just enter into a time of just some prayer. I want to pray over you and uh, just go throughout this week with the confidence that the, the, the level that you need to measure up to is in the Word. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. I ask you, Lord, that anything that I said that was not of you be dropped from the memory. I want nothing that comes from my mouth not to be inspired by you. I thank you for this opportunity to address how the enemy is devouring our community and devouring our world. Maybe with this little bit of a, a knowledgeable nugget that we can, we can go out and battle with you, partner with you. Lives are being destroyed. Families are being destroyed through the pursuit of stuff, through the I can get to heaven on my own. I can survive because there is no afterlife. This is it. So Lord, I just pray over these people in this building. I pray over 
ones viewing online. Lord, I ask you to rejuvenate them. Encourage them. Give them visual of those that need prayer. Put people on their heart that they just can't ignore. We want to be obedient to you, obedient to your instructions. I thank you, Father, for this time. I ask you to bless them as they go about. May they return rejuvenated and ready to worship the one true King, the one true God, the giver of life. And all God's children said, Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it.